I think observability gives us as a community sort of a shared language to discuss reliability, really, when we get down to it, right? It gives us nouns and verbs. It gives us, you know, parts of speech. What I think is actually very powerful at OpenTelemetry is that it gives us as a community of practice the ability to sort of redefine a lot of terms and get everyone to the same footing when it comes to saying like, when I say trace and you hear trace, what do I mean? We mean the same thing. Hello, I'm Martin Thwaites. And I'm Jessica Kerr. And you're listening to Observability Cast, or OllieCast for short. A monthly series where we talk about how we can make production systems more observable, more reliable, and easy to maintain. OllieCast is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. For more information, visit heavybit.com. If you're interested in being a guest on this show, or if you have a specific topic you'd like us to dive into, you can reach us on Twitter at OllieCast. That's at O-11-Y-C-A-S-T. We were talking about O-11-Y, and not everybody knows that that is pronounced Ollie and means observability. I observe that also open telemetry could be abbreviated O-11-Y. Oh, that's interesting. Yep, 13 letters. So you get the O and the Y, and there's 11 in between. Interesting. Okay. So what you're saying is we can action someone here, right? Like We, we came up with O-11-Y, and so now we can be like, oh, they're just following in our footsteps. <laughs> I mean, does anybody really come up with those things, though? Because realistically, the, the whole idea of like concatenating and all of that kind of stuff and using those numbers, that's not... It's not an innovation. It's not something that we've come up with. You know, it comes back from the the I eighteen N. Yeah, it's a shorthand, a useful shorthand for how to say really long words without saying really long words. Actually, you know, this this brings me to one of my favorite little open telemetry stories, which is Ooh. the. CNCF asked, and we were like, "No, we actually don't want a trademark on Otel." We don't want the trademark abbreviated because we wanted to reserve that for the community and vendors and whoever else to be able to use Otel as a shorthand without having to like go through trademark BS. Interesting. Oh, that's useful to know. Yeah, that's why we could do Otel Unplugged and not have to like mess with anything. Interesting. Because ah. it's like Otel is just four letters. I mean, that would be O2L. Yeah, O2L. It, it pronounces well. O2L, it pronounces well, and it sounds like a European synth pop band. <laughs> but yeah, I, you know, I found out recently as well that that is um, the even just A11Y, so um, which would be accessibility. Accessibility. You know, I these are not things that are as widely known. I think it's that whole bubble idea that to me, like. O11Y and Ollie is just a thing. Um, and talking to somebody recently, not only did they not know that O11Y meant observability, but they didn't know how to pronounce it either. And I was like, yeah, it's Ollie. That's, you know, um, you just say Ollie. Whereas all of our listeners know that already. Exactly. Because you're listening to the Ollie cast. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> But yeah, that was just it was just an interesting thing about that bubble idea that this this is, as far as I'm concerned, a big massive thing called Ollie. And so many people don't know it. And you know insider knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. I I always joke like 
any individual thing that happens in open telemetry, there's only like 50 people in the world that actually care about it. Why am I always the one in that 50 as well? <laughs> because you care a lot, Martin. It sounds like a you problem, Martin. <laughs> yeah, that, does, that, that also kind of sounds like a you problem. I care about a lot of them, but I am definitely one of those 50, so. Okay, but collectively, as a whole, the Open Telemetry Project is useful to thousands and thousands of people. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And that's the wild thing about it, right? Like, how do you balance... The needs of the many over the wants of a few. Well, there's that. I think it's <laughs> it hit me um, a while ago, and it wasn't even something I did, but it was something my partner did, is she typed open telemetry into the settings app on our iPhone, and it popped something up because you know there are applications that run on iOS that use open telemetry libraries, and so they have the, you know, under the the library section or dependency section. Copyright notices, yeah. Yeah, the copyright notice, the whatever. And it's just like, oh, this thing that I like have been a part of is running on millions and millions of phones. And it's a scary thought. Yep, I had the same with Mono. Um, I committed to the Mono project. And the Mono project is in Mono Game. And all of these things that are, at, you know. Sp- mono is like .NET on Android? Uh, it's .NET on anything but Windows. Um, way before .NET Core was a thing, and Microsoft weren't really involved in trying to make things cross-platform, there was a splinter group of people that decided to try and make something that would compile C-sharp code into something that would run on Linux and that kind of stuff. And when you want something to be like really cross-platform, you get the situation that is an extreme in open telemetry of just the breadth of the project. And it takes a community to even care about, much less write, all the different libraries that have automatic instrumentation in all the different languages and frameworks. And yeah, sometimes for all the different devices that is open telemetry. Yeah. Yeah. There's an interesting kind of sidebar note here too, which is one of the things that I like to talk about when I talk about observability as a concept is that I think observability gives us as a community sort of a shared language to discuss reliability, really, when we get down to it, right? I agree. Okay. What is that language? So it gives us nouns and verbs. It gives us you know parts of speech. I think actually Martin and I had a really interesting conversation earlier today, right? Where we went back and forth for about 100 Slack messages. <laughs> we nearly broke Slack, yes. <laughs> violently agreeing with each other, but missing the point because the language that I use and the language that he used are just slightly disjoint, right? And I think that's very common. But I mean, it's common in language, certainly, and it's um, especially common in sort of technical language and even more common in technical language that refers to non-academic sort of pursuits, right? It's like open telemetry is a good example. You know, a trace means something in open telemetry. It is a semantic, yes. you know, it, it is a thing. A trace means a collection of spans and those spans are connected in this way and there's, you know, there's a data model, there's a specification, there's all this. But then there's the logical concept of a trace. And I, I find when I talk to people that mm. don't maybe have a strong observability background or, you know, are kind of new to this, they think, Depending on what language they came up in, right? They'll think of a trace as something different. People will think of it as a stack trace. They'll think of it as like trace level, you know, line level information about what's going on. A trace of operating system calls. 
Right, like a kernel level trace or whatever. And so what I think is actually very powerful about OpenTelemetry is that it gives us as a community of practice the ability to sort of redefine a lot of terms and get everyone to the same footing when it comes to saying like, when I say trace and you hear trace, what do I mean? We mean the same thing. We're talking about the same thing. And that's because OpenTelemetry has a spec and the spec defines a trace. Yeah. Yes. So I completely agree with you that open telemetry gives us a common language. Observability, on the other hand, everybody has their own idea what that means. And for some people, it's kernel level traces. So I meant something different when I was talking about the shared language that observability gives us. See, words are hard. What I was meaning was observability inside of an organization provides shared language between teams. Because once we start talking about how we observe our systems... Right. We start talking in a shared language. We start talking about HTTP root, and we don't talk about the ASP.NET core package. We don't talk about Flask. We don't talk about um, that kind of stuff. We talk about the service and the roots and the API calls it makes, the database calls it makes. Because we can all see them in the same trace. Exactly. look at the same trace. And it's not my logs versus your logs. Yeah, and hopefully, you know, the the semantic conventions are part of that whole idea about us using shared language to say how our systems work, which means it transcends the operating system language, the the frameworks, the the coding languages that we use. It's almost like if you had a standard way to define infrastructure. Well, to that point, I agree that. Yeah, those are the open telemetry is providing like the nouns and verbs, right? And then observability is giving you the sentences and the the way you talk about it. It leads you to things like how do we communicate reliability or expectations of reliability across these different organizational silos or teams or whatever. And it gives us SLOs as an example, right? It gives us certain types of visualizations that are useful, and those are influenced by the nouns and verbs that open telemetry gives us. So open telemetry gives us, you know histograms, it gives us um, traces that encode duration in a certain way, which is very useful to put into a heat map, right? And that is a better way of visualizing and exploring it. If you think about Prometheus and you think about um, sort of a lot of extant logging and metrics frameworks, they are leaky abstractions over the way that data is stored and queried, and that is what derives into how people actually think about the data that goes into observability. So by having OpenTelemetry be designed to provide a native framework for observability data, then it influences those, you know, OpenTelemetry is the notes and observability is the composition, right? It builds on each other. And I see Kubernetes as supplying that kind of language for the infrastructure our code runs on. Yes, because everything's a CRD. <laughs> eh. Everything's a custom resource definition. No, no, no. Lots of things are built-in resources. <laughs> Everything's an object. But there's power when you combine Kubernetes and open telemetry, because then we have some standard infrastructure concepts being expressed in a standard way in our traces and metrics. And then what do we get? Hmm. And this is that, how do we, we've talked about correlation a lot. How do we correlate logs with metrics, with traces? Well, when we bring in infrastructure stuff, now we've got this common language of pod, because that's a unit of deployment, a, a bounded idea of how we deploy something. And now, because we're using, say, open telemetry, we're using the semantic conventions, 
we can now have that shared language between, well, what is metrics that relate to this particular pod or this unit of deployment that we've done versus this other unit of deployment that we've done? What are these customer-centric stuff like the tracing ideas? How do we relate that down to some of these infrastructure components, which we didn't have when we were deploying things to, say, EC2 instances or Azure VMs? because we didn't have those shared language concepts at that point. Speaking of shared language concepts, hey, Austin, you want to introduce yourself? Yes, I'd love to. So, hi, everyone. My name is Austin Parker, and I am Director of Open Source here at Honeycomb. Hooray! <laughs> Tell us about your work. The short story is I am an open telemetry community maintainer. Um, I've been a part of the project since uh, pretty much it was formed. I was a maintainer on open tracing, and I have been there since the jump for open telemetry. Mostly I work on sort of community-facing things, so I help run our communications SIG, which is responsible for documentation and uh, website. I am one of the maintainers on the open telemetry demo, which helps people kind of get started, see how open telemetry works. And I work on a lot of our events and kind of how we show up in the the bigger ecosystem. So if you've been to an observability day at uh, KubeCon recently, that's something that I've you know helped put together. Outside of that, I've written a couple books on this topic. Uh, Distributed Tracing and Practice is one of them from a couple years ago. And then I've got another one coming out next year called Learning Open Telemetry. So please look forward to that. And if none of that rings a bell, then you might know me as the the Animal Crossing DevOps conference guy. (laughs) (laughs) True, true. I always wanted to speak at that conference because I have an Animal Crossing character. Did you create characters for people or did they have to create their own? People made their own. You have to have a switch. You have to have a switch. You You can't speak at Deserted Island DevOps unless you have a switch and you have Animal Crossing because you have to go to their island. Do you not supply them? <laughs> no. We, what kind of budget do you think I was working with for that? <laughs> for the last one, we actually did have the option. Like, if you didn't have a character, then we would kind of create you one because we did the speakers in person. But everyone had one. There was actually one person that didn't, but we had. But some of the other speakers like banded together to help them make <laughs> like a villager. It was very cute. I think that should be the way that it works, that somebody else builds the character for you so you get a picture of what other people see you as. I wouldn't really go... Part of the... One of the themes behind the conference is that the great thing about Animal Crossing or virtual events in general, right, is that you have so much more control over who you want to be, right? And it kind of puts everyone on an even footing because you can only be who you are within the very careful constraints as created by Nintendo of America. Kind of like your app can only run within the constraints of a container in a pod. Great transition. <laughs> uh, All right, so so what do you get when you combine open telemetry and Kubernetes? Oh, that sounds like a great start for a joke. <laughs> well, well, first of all, we'd have 11 plus 8 is 19. <laughs> I think it's actually more interesting to talk about what changes One thing I've seen talking to teams that kind of bring in Kubernetes late versus building on top of it, and there's a whole spectrum of like opinion about like, should you build on top of Kubernetes from the start? Should you wait? Whatever. 
but especially organizations that are a little larger that you know are going through their cloud transformation what i see is people will come in and it's like okay kubernetes this is an ops thing so this is going to be like we're going to put this over here in our cloud center of excellence we're going to put this over here in some out of the way place and we're going to make sure that the developers never have to think about it other than writing a bunch of yaml and actually we'll get someone else to write the yaml for them anyway and what invariably happens is it turns every single incident into this horrific like data being thrown over a literal firewall in some cases by these two teams by the app devs who are suddenly in the situation of like, oh my gosh, my application is running and Kubernetes is doing stuff to it and that's influencing what's happening in the system. And the ops people that are like, I don't really understand why these things are happening. Like I'm trying to treat this like a VM or I'm trying to treat this like a traditional kind of infrastructure component and these worlds just do not have the right, you know, there's an impotence mismatch to use a Microsoftism between the needs and wants of the people building applications that run on Kubernetes and the people that are running Kubernetes for those developers and for end users. And that, I think, is the the real, like, what are you missing? You're missing that connection, right? I think there's this, and I, I wrote a post for the new stack on this recently, um, which is people treating the Kubernetes as if it's done and it's out of the way. But actually... Kubernetes isn't like we used to use VMs. Like you say, these things are now so much more intertwined. A pod is so much closer to my application than a VM was. Even though a pod is kind of that same thing, it's what hosts my application, it's so much closer to my application than a VM was. And I think that is where things really differ nowadays. Yeah, I think there's also conceptually, right, like if I'm trying to develop software, then it's a lot, mentally at least, like it's a shorter path from like I'm running this on my laptop to I'm putting this in a VM, and and these things mostly work the same, like conceptually. But then when I shove it into a container, and I shove that container into a pod, and I shove that pod into a node, and everything is different from DNS resolution to how limits are applied, to you know, resource contention, to storage, you know, pick your poison. Like basically everything is going to change somewhat running in Kubernetes versus running it locally, unless you're also running in Kubernetes locally. And then how different is it if you're running in a container locally? I mean it's I would say it's Slightly less different, but still more, but still different enough, right? Like there are things about the Kubernetes, uh, the lifecycle of a pod or a deployment in Kubernetes that are like unique to Kubernetes that aren't just scheduling in a container. Yeah, the scheduling. So when we talk about scheduling, just so the people who don't know what we're talking about, um, scheduling is this idea and. Bearing in mind that I'm not a Kubernetes expert, which may make me the best person to explain this or the worst person to explain this. Um, so tell me if I'm wrong here. But the idea that there is a whole ecosystem inside of your Kubernetes cluster of different applications working together, and they will decide where your individual pod is going to run. It might be on node one, it might be on node two, it might be on node three. It might be six of them. It might be on all of them. It could be two on one node and one on another. And as things change over time, 
it can decide that actually, no, we were running two on this node and none on this node, but actually now I can reschedule one of those pods onto this node and it will decide to change that. Okay, so as a dev, I don't want to worry about any of that. I don't want to care how many of my services running or where. I don't want to care about limits. I don't want to care about storage. I don't want to care about DNS. Does OpenTelemetry help me care about that stuff when I need to? I think it gives you the framework, right? Like, to Martin's point, like that's a pretty good explanation. The scheduler can reschedule things for all sorts of reasons, and depending on, you know, this is one of those points where it gets complex the more you kind of integrate Kubernetes into your, your architecture, right? I would say there's a distinction between even saying like cloud-native and Kubernetes-native. Kubernetes itself is an object database with a reconciliation loop, and you give it a bunch of objects, and those objects can be pods, which are containers with metadata about those containers. It can be an ingress, which is how do I get traffic from the outside world into various pods. It can be a custom resource, right? It can be something that you just create and say, hey, I want to manage this. But consider a, you know, I'm going to make up a guy to get mad at real quick, but imagine I have some sort of SaaS service and I have... You know, free users and I have paid users, and paid users get higher performance. So I create node, you know, so in my cloud, I have my kind of standard nodes and I have my high performance nodes. With Kubernetes, I can pretty straightforwardly say, hey, when I, this service runs, if it's being run for a paid user, it needs to run on these nodes over here. And we call these things like, you know, these are called taints. So we can apply taints to it and to a Kubernetes manifest. And Kubernetes will figure out, like, okay, I need to run stuff over here, I need to run stuff over there. Like, oh, maybe a lot of paid users are signing on. Um, I need to actually provision and spin up more nodes for those users to run on. And it can do all this, and that actually makes my life as a developer a lot easier, because I don't have to, as a developer, then say, like, oh, how am I going to code all this? I just give it to Kubernetes and say, figure it out. But what happens if there's an incident, right? What happens if it's like, oh... There's some weird interaction between my code and maybe certain paid users are getting scheduled onto free nodes, right? Due to some weird interaction between the Kubernetes API, the manifests I'm writing, the position of the sun, and you know the phase of the moon. Like, I need a lot of data, and I need it to all be contextually linked together, and I need it to all be sort of visible in the same place so that I can ask interesting questions about the data and find the answer. And that's really hard to do with not only traditional tools, but also the traditional way that organizations seem to think about monitoring and observability, because they do kind of like silo those off, right? They say like, oh, these are infrastructure problems. The infrastructure people are handling those. You should focus on your dev problems. But the devs do need more than just what they're getting out of, you know, app logs, app metrics, whatever. So all of that is amazing. And there's like loads and loads of terms in there that if you're not familiar with Kubernetes, you'll be like tearing your hair out from taints and all of that kind of stuff. I think the that's part of the problem is as a dev, I don't want to care about those. But what I do want to care about is where my stuff bleeds into infrastructure, not completely. Like I don't care specifically about whether there is too much network traffic happening between nodes or what I do care about though is when something's affecting my app as in I'm getting slower requests I'm getting more errors what's the commonality in the infrastructure for those metrics because like you say it becomes this he said she says type thing he said she said they said 
that the infrastructure is the problem. No, you can't just pass it over the wall. That's where we were. We were there before DevOps, where, yeah, it's an ops problem. Ops will solve it. What we really want is for the engineers to have just a little bit of information that allows them to go, no, it's distributed evenly over all of the nodes. And yeah, the pods were running fine. So right, go and sort your stuff out. Don't try and blame infrastructure. That's where I think there's this idea now, because we're closer to the infrastructure, because our applications are getting closer to it, like you say, we're more native inside of that infrastructure. We can do a, a lot more things. We can reschedule things. We can have pods that are labeled as, have an annotation or a label of paid versus unpaid. And we can do all of those interesting things really easily. But we need to be able to say, this particular request was served to a paid user. It was on a paid pod, which meant it was on this particular node, which had these particular taints attached to the deployment that came from that particular thing. That's where I think this whole idea of using open telemetry to observe Kubernetes and observe our applications allows us to be able to allow the engineers who write the applications for customers to be able to reach into the platform world um, platform infrastructure, whatever you want to call it, the people who are building these large-scale clusters for us to deploy our applications to, it can act as this interface between the two. Your point earlier around the shared language, if we're both using open telemetry, the infrastructure people are using metrics because that's what they've got, but they're using infrastructure metrics with specific open telemetry semantic conventions around them, which gives them that shared language. We're using those same conventions inside of our open telemetry tracing and potentially logs and even application metrics. If we start using that shared language, we can talk in better ways to those platform engineers and say, look, I'll tell you now, we're having some problems and it just so happens that every single one of those problems, they're on this node. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the, this node, this node name, I can give you the node name, I can give you the times, and I can give you the pods that it was happening on. I need your help to look into it. And I think the the other really cool thing OpenTelemetry lets us do is it gives us a shared and sort of unified pipeline for getting that data, right? So things like the OpenTelemetry collector, the various OpenTelemetry APIs and SDKs, you can instrument with OpenTelemetry at the app level. You can send that data to an OpenTelemetry collector, which can talk to the Kubernetes API and ensure that all of your telemetry, you know, from the container, from the pod, from the kubelet, from all these various components, right, is consistently and accurately tagged with the right metadata, you know, the right attributes, the right resource attributes, all this, so that when I'm looking at a screen and the ops person is looking at a screen and whoever else is looking at a screen, you know, we're all looking at the same raw data and we're maybe using different tools to interpret that data. We're using different lenses and views, but the data itself is the same. And that also makes it a lot easier to sort of configure and roll this stuff out, right? Because now I don't need a billion different proprietary agents or whatever. I just need open telemetry, and then I take my open telemetry data and I just kind of split it out wherever. Hooray. And that's the, the weird questions that we want to ask. Because, you know, you're not going to have dashboards for that. You're not going to have pre-built metrics that correlate all of those things, which comes down to those weird and wonderful questions that you want to ask, which is all about the observability side. 
Okay, so open telemetry can help application developers connect what's going on in their apps with what's going on in Kubernetes. And that can help break down the silo that constantly tries to reemerge between dev and infra. Hopefully. Sounds good to me. That is the hope, because we don't want to end up where we were with dev and ops. Right, right. Okay, uh, so question for Austin and maybe Martin. If people are like, okay, that sounds pretty good, where should they go to learn more about how to put this stuff together? There's a lot of really good docs on the OpenTelemetry website um, that are getting better at a regular cadence. If you want to you know, just kind of see a, a very neutral version of this, you know, the OpenTelemetry demo has a Kubernetes version you can use where it will deploy and show you kind of like, hey, here's how you would set up the collector to pull all this stuff in. And then you can send that to Honeycomb or wherever else. I think there's it's an area that's lacking at the moment, let's be honest. The use case side, there is an area of lacking. We're trying to plug it, which is we've got a load of docs on OpenTelemetry. So if you want to go and build these things up, looking at the different processes, we've got an entire section on the OpenTelemetry docs around Kubernetes which will tell you all of the different tools that you can use, why they're useful, and how to make them work. The progression from there, as Austin said, is use the open telemetry demo. It will bring a load of those together to give you an example. I struggle to find a lot of the um, the docs at the moment that tell us and the opinionated use case of how do we take all of those things and run them. I think it's an area where we need to do a lot of work, which I know that the open telemetry community is working on. So maybe by the time this comes out, there'll be some some nice docs that do all of those things. Yeah, I think one challenge, and I, I mean, I I tend to agree with you, right? The problem with open telemetry in general isn't necessarily that the information about how to like set it up and use it isn't there, because it is. The problem is more. It's a framework for data. And yes, we need better docs about like how do I actually use this data to solve a problem. But a lot of the like how do I use this to solve a problem winds up looking really different depending on how you're analyzing the data, right? What tools are you using? So someone could sit down and say, like, oh, here's how I solve this problem in Honeycomb, and that's great. But I'm not sure how useful that is for like someone that doesn't use Honeycomb, right? So we need lots of different examples. Right, so we need lots of opinionated examples about like this is how to do this with tool X. And I also think that there's a little bit in there of as a project we need to say like this is the type of data you need. This is the resolution of the data you need, right? Like you should have these kind of traces and these kind of metrics and these kind of logs or da 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 da. da. And once you have all that stuff, then you're able to kind of ask those interesting questions and the way you ask those questions is going to differ based on what tools you use. But the questions themselves are pretty, um, should hopefully be pretty universal. Yeah, I think that open telemetry has tried to be completely unopinionated to a point where it might be coming a little bit of a drawback right now because you can do all of these things, have all of this data. But like you say, how do you use that data and what's the right level of resolution for those things is something I know the Open Telemetry Project, at least in its early days, was trying to stay away from and try and maintain the data models and the protocols and the SDKs instead of going into the, no, no, you need a trace for this area. You need a, a span around this. This is where you should write a log file and the log file should contain these bits of information. And maybe there's a now getting to a point, like you say, where 
right, we've got all of that stuff. And now there is a bit of a gap where we need more people to tell us, how are you doing it? And what is your opinion on what you should be doing? And maybe this is where the community widens from open telemetry into observability. Yes, 100%. You know, I I think one of the things that's really exciting about being at Honeycomb is I um, believe you'll actually, I mean, quite a few of your the people that we serve use open telemetry. Honeycomb has been like a really super early adopter of open telemetry. And so there's a lot of people actually using it in anger. So I'm really curious to hear from, you know, people that use Honeycomb, like, you know, what have you found that works, right? Like, what are you finding that's the right level of detail and resolution and whatever else to use for open telemetry to get answer those interesting questions? And I think it's a, you know, good general question as well, right? Like, even if you don't use Honeycomb, if you are using open telemetry, like, bring those lessons in to the community and write about them, blog about them, whatever, if your problem is that you have a great story and you don't know how to tell it or don't know where to tell it, look me up and I promise I will help. <laughs> where can people get a hold of you, Austin? Oh, oh, wait, wait. I know one place. If <laughs> you're in North America and going to KubeCon in Chicago for 2023, come find us. Find us at the Honeycomb booth. Well, okay, you can find Austin anyway. And you can find Ren and you can find a lot of other people who will be thrilled to talk open telemetry and observability and what the heck questions are you asking of your observability and how did you tell it to give you those answers? Yeah, and if you're looking for me at KubeCon, I will be at Observability Day. I will be all over the place. Uh, Be sure to check out the Open Telemetry Observatory, which is going to be our cool little lounge space we've got. Check Open Telemetry out in the Project Pavilion. And if you want to find me on the internet, I am at Austin L. Parker, most places, LinkedIn, Twitter, so forth. Great. Well, Austin, Martin, thank you for talking about observability and Kubernetes or Ollie and Kate's. <laughs> Martin, Martin had a great numeronym here. K-O-19-C? Yep. Co-19-C? That looks like a super in-club license plate. Yes. Oh, yeah. Kind of does look like a license plate. So thank you very much. And um, tune in next time for way more talk about observability. That's all we have time for today. If you're interested in being a guest on the show, or if you would like to suggest a topic, find us on Twitter at OllieCast. That's O-1-1-Y-C-A-S-T. OllieCast is brought to you by Heavybit, the leading investor in developer-first startups. To learn more about Heavybit, visit heavybit.com.